You are listening to the IMN podcast produced by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion. We've asked members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to share how their lives have been blessed by living the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the Savior's request, come follow me, they have all responded, I am in. Bishop Belknap was born and raised in Boise, Idaho, and graduated from Bora High School. He served a full-time mission in the California Anaheim Spanish-speaking mission. He attended BYU in Provo, Utah, and graduated with a degree in computer science. He has worked his entire career in information and technology and is currently the IT manager at Container and Packaging in Eagle. Sister Belknap is also an Idaho native. But when she was eight years old, her father accepted a teaching position at a church school in the island of Western Samoa, where she spent three years of her impressionable young life. Sister Belknap has a deep love for the Polynesian people and culture because of this valuable experience. Sister Belknap graduated from Homedale High School and also attended BYU Hawaii. In their free time, the Belknaps love being with family, boating, camping, and traveling. A couple of their future dreams include going on a mission together and also building a camper van and traveling around the United States just for fun. Bishop and Sister Belknap met in a YSA ward in Boise and have been married for 35 years. They have four daughters, four son-in-laws, six grandchildren, and one more cute baby on the way. The Belknaps are currently serving in the bishopric of the Boise YSA 4th Ward. This is Michelle Burke. You are listening to the Boise Nampa Institute's podcast, I Am In, where we hear from local members in the Treasure Valley who come to share their testimony of how the gospel of Jesus Christ has blessed them personally and professionally. You will really enjoy the energy and stories you'll hear today from Bishop Belknap and his wife, Lori. Well, this is exciting. I think this is a bucket list for us because we've never been on a prod podcast before. So now we can or say- Or written a bio. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, write a bio. I was so like, here going, Wow, that's, that yeah. sounds pretty this impressive. Is out of our realm a little bit. That needs to go in our scrapbook there. <laughs> Well, um, I have to admit that when Lori called me to let me know that, hey, we just got invited to speak here, my first reaction was, what? why us? We are nothing special. We are just normal people. What awesome stories do we have to tell? And you know, the more we thought about it, the more we realized how blessed we really are. So if you consider yourself normal, and nothing special, then we are you in 30 years. <laughs> and your life will be greatly blessed. Um, I think Lori's going to start it off with, uh, well, you, you can kind of start it off. <laughs> okay. I'll just give you what we decided that we'll have our, um, our comments kind of circle, circle around this theme. So a couple of weeks ago, as um, we were studying the Come Follow Me, and we are in Moses chapter 6, um, we read this verse, uh, the last half of the verse, was talking about Enoch, 
and um, you know his experience and God introducing himself to him. And in verse 26, it says, as he journeyed, the spirit of God descended out of heaven and abode upon him. So what struck us is that when his call came or his revelation came or he felt the spirit, it was as he journeyed. And that's what um, Bishop Belknap and I apologize if I refer to him as Roger sometimes because that's who he is to me. But I know I'm supposed to be, you know, formal, <laughs> which is also unlike me. So <laughs> um, anyway, we just thought that um, it was while he journeyed and it was right in the place that he was at. And as we were putting our talk or this presentation together, we realized that that's the same thing that's happened for us, that as we have journeyed through life, God has shown up in the details of our life. He is there in the big decisions, and he is there in the tiny, tiny details. And um, he is there with you while you're going to school, while you're hanging out with friends, while you're going to work, while you're making big decisions, while you're at Friday Forum at the Institute. Like, he will show up in the details, in the tiny, tiny details of your life. So when um, Bishop Belknap was called to be bishop just barely last November, so it hasn't been very long, but he got called right in the middle of November, and that's kind of, uh, you know, the tithing settlement time. So he was kind of thrown right into the fire. And he had a great, to me, inspiring idea. To me, this was God showing up in his details. When he came up, um, he decided to use tithing settlement as an opportunity to get to know the kids in our ward. I'll say kids, but they're adults, young adults, but you know, the same age as my kids. So when I say kids, I'm, I'm referring to you guys, but not in a demeaning kind of way, but in a loving kind of way, because my kids are great. And so, um, and so are you guys. So anyway, he decided to ask all the young adults a question. And of course he took care of the tithing stuff, but, um, what he said to them, or asked them, he said, tell me about your faith journey, and how did it begin, and where is it now? And he would come home, and he didn't you know, always tell me, depending on what the stories were, but he would come home, I think I shared this in our ward um, once, that he would come home, I kind of expected him to come home drained and tired, because night after night he was meeting with kids and kids, and that was after a long day of work, and, you know, when you have these several-hour days, and he's been a family ward bishop, and sometimes it's, I knew that, it, that it's kind of tiring sometimes, so I kind of expected him to walk in the door and be tired, but he walked in the door every single night, every single night, there, with no exception, and I just pretend this is our island at home, and he would walk in and he was just vibrant and he was radiating and he would say, can I tell you what a great ward we have? It is such a great ward. These young adults are spectacular. And he got to know them through tithing settlement with this question of tell me about your faith journey and where did it begin and where are you now? 
So we thought that that's what we'd implement into our words today, is to tell you about our faith journeys and where it began and where we are now. So it's a great question to think about. And maybe you can think about that. And um, we'd love if you would tell us at the end of this presentation, or if you had a friend or a parent or anyone that you'd like to talk to soon and, and share that with them, because it kind of is a good thing on both ends of the spectrum. So I'll just start. OK, I was raised in an LDS home with great parents, and we were active in um, going to church. And uh, I didn't attend seminary. I mean, my parents kind of just, you know, left it on the table to us. They were like, yeah, seminary's over there. You can go if you want. And I was like, 530 in the morning? OK, no thanks. You know, I, <laughs> I didn't want to. <laughs> so I didn't go to seminary. Um, I worked a lot as a teenager in my high school years, and so I'd probably, I'd, probably the best way to describe it is that I'd work a Sunday or two and go to church, maybe work a Sunday two or three or four and then go to church. So I didn't consider myself like not active or anything like that, but now I think if one of my kids were doing that when they were in high school, I would be like, oh, they don't go to church very much, you know, but it was just my normal routine. I happened to be a cheerleader in, you know, I went to a small Homedale High School, so, um, you know, you could do all the things. And um, so I was a cheerleader, so I needed the week off to do my cheerleading stuff, and so that's why I worked a lot on weekends, but it didn't seem to be trouble um, for, you know, the family or anything like that. So anyway, um, as far as the gospel being taught in our home, it kind of just wasn't like we went to church and that's what we did. We, there was probably no gospel teaching or principles in my home. And um, we've been moving things around in our house because we're getting ready to get new carpet. And I came across a great visual aid for... Um, my childhood testimony. So these were some scriptures that were given to me, I think for my 12-year-old birthday. We had recently returned home from Western Samoa, and um, you know, a lot of times you get scriptures for your eight-year-old birthday, but I, we were in Samoa, and anyway, you know, it wasn't the Amazon days back in the day and stuff, so you couldn't get stuff like this. And so my mom had these made up for me. And these are exactly what they look like when I was 12. I don't know if I've unzipped them more than three or four times. Here's number five. <laughs> and it is such a good symbol of my childhood testimony. It's just tiny. It's clean and pure and simple. But it still has every gold leaf put on the edge of the page. It doesn't have one marking. It doesn't have one dog ear. It doesn't have one ruffled page. It probably, the little white ribbon is probably in the same spot. And they've been zipped up and sat on the shelf. And probably the best way to say it is just nothing going in or coming out of them at all. Like just pretty sitting on the shelf surface, everything on the outside looks good. 
but nothing went inside of me. Um, my patriarchal blessing said that your parents will plant a seed of a testimony within you. And I have to say, when I was 18, when I left home and went to Salt Lake and started working, that's exactly what was inside. I know now that that's exactly what was inside of me. It was just this tiny, 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 like carrot seed or mustard seed, like just so tiny. Um, and then the next line after that, it said, you will need to nurture it. Um, I didn't realize all this when I was 18. You know, this is, you know, realization over the years and stuff. So um, on my way home um, from when we lived in Western Samoa, we stopped and toured BYU Hawaii campus. And I remember as an 11-year-old, I was very drawn to that campus. And I told my parents at that time, I want to come back here someday. But I really like felt it and meant it and stuff. And um, so that's what my plan was. After I graduated from high school, I um, went and worked for a year in Salt Lake at the Deseret Book corporate office. And then my plan was to go to BYU Hawaii and kind of fulfill my childhood dream. And that's kind of what I was saving my money for. And, Anyway, at the time I um, started and was dating a guy and he, and it was not Roger, it was somebody else. And um, anyway, back then, I know now you like plan your whole wedding and pick out the ring and do, you know, just kind of what my kids did and then you get engaged, <laughs> right? <laughs> We kind of did it the other way around 35 years ago. We would get engaged and then plan all the things. And so anyway, this guy happened to propose to me on Memorial Weekend. And my plan was to go to BYU Hawaii in August. And all that I had ever seen in movies or family, or I really didn't have any friends that had gotten married because I'd only been out of high school for like a year. And I... I'd only see them jump up and down and grab them by the neck and say yes and I'm so excited and I was like wait what me are you talking to me <laughs> I was not expecting this at all he came down for the weekend and just took me out and asked me and I was like wait what remember August I was I'm going to BYU Hawaii like and I know life can change and plans can change but for, um, to shorten up the story, um, I know now that Heavenly Father needed me to go to BYU Hawaii to nurture that seed of a testimony. And it was really hard for me because, I mean, you didn't want to hurt his feelings. You didn't want to change. Evidently, he had some plans, but was I going to, like, fit in those or not? And... Heavenly Father helped me. He helped me by sending my dad to be strong enough. My dad had never pulled me aside in my life before and kind of given me guidance or direction. So here as a 19-year-old, he saw the uncertainty and hesitancy in my life and uh, took me on a walk and we talked about it. And uh, we talked about regret and just kind of my dreams and my goals. And he just guided me and helped me um, 
learn what I needed to hear from Heavenly Father. I felt like he was kind of the conduit. So long story short, I ended up going to BYU, Hawaii, and it was the pivotal point in my testimony journey. Like nothing in my life has been the same since I went to BYU, Hawaii. So since I left with that seed of a testimony, when I went there, I still had that seed even a year later. I didn't really do anything to nurture it because I didn't really know where I was at. I had no idea. But I remember going to my very first Book of Mormon class at BYU Hawaii. And I was on the front row. And I sat there and I listened to them talk. I, kn I knew the names of Nephi and Lehi and, you know, all the regular names, Alma and stuff like that, but I knew nothing about their stories. And I tell my kids this. My daughter, Audrey, said to me last night, are you going to tell them what you learned in your Book of Mormon class? And I just said, I sat there and I was like, what? This is in the Book of Mormon? Like, I was so surprised that all of those stories and all of those lessons and all of those principles were in the Book of Mormon. I had no idea because my seed only held so much. Anyway, I never missed a devotional. I loved my religion classes. I learned the power of prayer, and most of all, I learned the power of the Spirit in my life. So as I apply myself to that scripture, I put, as I journeyed at school at BYU Hawaii, the Spirit of God descended from heaven and abode with me. And I never wanted that to leave me. That's kind of where I um, recognized that God was in the details. Like, he knew I was there at 11. He planted that seed in me and how I wanted to go back and, anyway, helped make it all happen. So to kind of finish up mine, I um, came back to Idaho after I was at BYU and um, started attending a YSA ward. And um, I continued my nurturing journey. I was called to be Relief Society president of that ward. That's where I learned how to love the sisters and to serve and to lead in the Savior's way. And that's also where I met Roger. Bishop Belknap, sorry. <laughs> and we have a long, sordid dating history, but I'm going to give you the cliff note version. And um, Roger's a gentleman, and he's a patient man. And in my opinion, he was also, um, God was in the details of his life in this circumstance. Roger called me every Sunday and asked me out for every Thursday for a whole year. <laughs> I had patience. <laughs> Roger really liked me. And I, I mean, I liked Roger. He was pleasant and fun and enjoyable to be around. But to be honest, Heavenly Father had put, I know now that Heavenly Father had put these blinders on me that I had zero romantic feelings towards Roger. Like, I loved hanging out with him. We had a great time. He was so easy to talk to. And I just had no romantic feelings. And you just don't force that, I guess. I don't know. That never really happened to me. And so I, 
always said yes, because it was never like, oh, no, this is not going anywhere, or it was never like a put off. Um, I remember asking him, maybe after we were married or something, I said, why did you ask me out on Thursdays instead of like Friday or Saturday? And also back in the day, you just kind of, you know, you didn't have cell phones and texting and everything wasn't so convenient. So you just dated a lot. And he just said, so that you would, you know, have space for the other dates that, you know, would come your way. And I was like, whoa. So that's the kind of man he is. <laughs> and um, needless to say, we became great friends over that course of the year. We never held hands. We never kissed. We never had a define the relationship moment. We never, n nothing. We simply dated for a whole year. And Heavenly Father knew that I needed a best friend first and a boyfriend second. And that's exactly what he gave me. So, um, after a whole year of that, I happened to go on vacation with my family, and I, it was just the Oregon coast, and I remember being on the beach and just kind of praying, like, you know, where's my life going? What am I doing? This decision, that decision, this boy, that boy, you know, just different stuff like that. So I came home from that vacation, and um, I went to church the next Sunday. We were in the same ward. I had the same roommates this whole time, and I'm literally sitting there in church, and I look over, and I see Roger, you know, kind of sitting over here in sacrament meeting, and I nudge my roommate, and I said, do you see Roger today? And she was like, yeah, looks the same as he has every other Sunday for the last 52 weeks, you know? And I was like, he kind of looks good today. I think I'm going to call him. And she was like, what? Anyway, so I did. I called him after church that day, and he, he tells me that he literally thinks he stopped breathing for 30 seconds. <laughs> like, <laughs> but God was in the details. God helped him hang around. Like, he didn't have to, like, keep staying there. Um, helped him be patient. Helped him, I guess, maybe underlying, had the feeling that maybe it would work out. Because why would it ever change, you know? Anyway, literally, Heavenly Father took the blinders off of me. Like, they were gone. Our relationship was based on friendship, and that's what I needed. Because sometimes, I think in my life, romantic feelings kind of muddled the water a little bit. And I didn't know, is this my feelings? Is this just physical attraction? I just, you know, maybe didn't know. And he helped me know. So that was in August, and Roger and I were engaged in November. And it has been the happiest 35 years of my life. And if I give anyone advice on what to look for in a spouse, it is a best friend. And to start right there. That is literally the most important part of your relationship. And um, I know that God was in the details of our journey coming together and um, 
that it has created a great bond for us for our, our life up to this point. So I'll let you do your faith okay. journey and maybe go into your professional stuff too. Okay. That was, that was code. She's not going to do this one section. <laughs> I talked way too long right there. My journey was different than Sister Belknap's. Um, mine started too, and I was born and raised in an active family. However, the gospel was taught in our home. So as long as I can remember, I've always had a testimony of the gospel, and I have never questioned it. But there is one thing that I do want to highlight. You know, through my life, I did things because you were supposed to. You know, you, I'm six of seven kids, so by the time it was t I was eight, you just get baptized. That's what you're supposed to do. When you turn 12, you get the Aaronic priesthood. You become a deacon. So I did all those things that I was supposed to do. I didn't complain. I wanted to do them. So when it came time for a mission, I went on a mission. I did my mission. I came home. All my siblings went to BYU. I went to BYU. Yes, I did pray and all that type of thing. But we'll just say my life was pretty much, you know, on track. It changed when I was in my 30s. Sister Belknap was a little bit different. Once the seed started growing, she was all in. For me, I was doing my callings. I was doing those things. But it was more because that's what you do, right? But I was, in my mid-30s, I was called to be Elders Corn president. And all of a sudden, I started loving these brethren. All of a sudden, I started thinking about them and their needs. My prayers started changing a little bit different on how can I bless and serve these families that I'm asked to serve. All of a sudden, I'm getting more and more invested. I'm starting to do things because I want to. And as that shift started happening, I noticed the relationship I had with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ also changed. All of a sudden, I felt His guidance more in my calling, in my life. The other thing that was happening during that time period is back then we did um, priesthood interviews every month <laughs> with the family home evening companionships, <coughs> not quarterly. <laughs> so I was in the homes of these brethren month after month after month. And there were some that I had identified as, I want to be like them. And I started noticing the differences in families and what they did. So I started asking more questions. And I started learning, and this is where I learned, that when you're all in, when you are doing things for the right reason, life just gets a little bit more sweeter 
their spirit becomes a little bit more stronger. You know, there's a saying in the church, STP, the same 10 people. All of a sudden, Sister Belknap and I became STPs, the same 10 people. And now I understand why. There is just added blessings. So on my faith journey, I always had the testimony. I always did the right things. But it wasn't until my mid-30s before I realized being all in is a great blessing in my life. So now, apparently I'm to go into another story. Um, in my life, I can go back and I can tell you defining moments. I can tell you the different spiritual experiences that I had. And I'm going to get emotional. I'll be a wreck through this whole thing. <laughs> but I decided to pick the most challenging part of my life. So let me kind of describe to you what happened. Um, some of you may remember 2008, 2009, 2010. And if you don't, I know your parents do. That was the time of the Great Recession. I was bishop, um, and I saw members of our ward lose their homes, their jobs. There was a couple months where the fast offering expenditures exceeded what was coming in. And that was unheard of. There was great need in the ward. One of the things that I've learned in life is when the sun, well, there's scriptures that back this up, but when the sun shines, it shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. When the sun rains, it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. And when there's a famine, it's also affecting the righteous and the unrighteous. The difference is how, do, how you prepare for the famines and how do you react in the times of the famine. Normally I leave this one part out because um, it's very personal, but I have to share it because it's a key part of this story. It's 2000 and January, first part of January of 2009. I had been bishop four years and um, working at Albertsons. And I remember I was working with one of my, uh, one of the supervisors that reported up to me. And at the end of the month, there was going to be a layoff. And so we were working out who we were going to lay off. And while we were doing that, I heard a voice, an audible voice. It wasn't a feeling. It wasn't, you know, the spirit type thing. It was an audible voice. And it said, called me by name, Roger, you are going to be laid off, but you're going to be okay. I know that that came from my Heavenly Father. 
He knew I was going to need that. And that was my lifeline that held me together for the famine that I was about to go through. It was like the Lord saying, okay, Roger, you have been bishop for four years. Let's test you on what you have learned and will you apply what you learned? So sure enough, at the end of January, when the meetings happened, my boss called me in. He was more of a wreck than I was, and he gave me the news that I was going to be laid off, that I was laid off. So for the first, well, so at that point comes the, are you prepared, and how are you going to react? Lori and I, our entire marriage, had followed the prophet's counsel as it relates to finances. We had our one-month emergency fund. We had our six-month income fund, where you're supposed to have six months of income saved up. We had that. And then also we had our food storage. And then you add the severance that I had in unemployment. I knew that we were going to be fine financially, There'd be food. Um, oh, we were out of debt. We had a, been aggressive on our mortgage. So I knew we were going to have our house. There'd be food. We were going to be fine temporarily through the whole experience. I wasn't too concerned. So the first three months, I spent a lot of my time trying to figure out what I wanted to do, because it's a great opportunity to change careers if but over time, I ended up writing my dream job, the description of my dream job. And to this day, I still am living my dream job. Fast forward a couple more months, and uh, now we're coming into the end of summer. I've been out networking. I've been out um, finding out what the market is. Now, I need to pause here, and I skipped this one part that I was supposed to talk about. There's a couple things that I learned as a bishop. Um, okay, guess this goes into how you react. When bad news come, people can react by cursing God, right? By saying, why me? And all that. Or you can do the opposite and embrace God, saying, help me through it. And that's what I did. I increased my scripture study. I increased my prayers. I increased my temple attendance. I wanted to come closer to God because I knew I was dependent upon Him. The other thing that I had learned is many people had come in to me uh, for financial help. And as I would go through their budget, one of the things that I noticed is one of the first things they cut was tithing. And I would look them in the eyeball and I would say, I'm sorry, I can't help you unless you're paying tithing because I need God to be part of this situation. I need the blessings, God's blessings to help you. I can't just give you money. I need God's help. So I quickly realized that there are certain blessings associated with certain obedience. 
that if I am going to find this job, I needed to follow the counsel of the prophet, which at the time I went to the employment agency or the church employment center. I sought their help. I went to their networking things. I did all the things that I knew I needed to do that the Lord had set out and say, hey, here's what you do. And so the other thing about these famines is stay close to those principles that draw the blessings that you're going to need. So come September, this is when the story starts getting a little bit more intense. Again, emotionally I was fine. Spiritually I was fine. Financially we were fine. But in September the kids go back to school. Lori had picked up um, some work where she was teaching, um, it's not daycare, it was preschool. preschool. And so it was just me at home. And so I go, okay, I got to get serious about finding a job. Because I had done a lot, but I really hadn't buckled down yet to find a job. So by the end of September, I realized there's no jobs in the Boise Valley. I'm going to have to look. And so all of a sudden, that was one of my requirements is I was not going to move. All of a sudden, I'm now saying, okay, I'm willing to move. So at the end of September, now we're coming to the end of October, and now it's beginning of November, I realize the only way I'm going to get out of this is if I go back to my empl previous employer, because they were still hiring. So a job came up. It was in Chicago, and it happened to be a job that I had already done. I've had that job. I go through the interview, and now it's getting close to Thanksgiving, and I didn't get the job, and I was stunned. So I called them up, one of the interviewers, and I said, why didn't I get the job? And she said, because Roger, you're too nice. We needed someone to be more aggressive with the business. And that took me to my knees. At that point, I had nothing left. At that point, there was no pride. There was no nothing. I knew the only way I was going to get out of this is through the Lord. Sometimes in these famines, you have to be stripped of everything. And it's just interesting how the Lord can do that. Over time, He completely stripped down everything that was important to me. You know, my job, Boise, those are, I still have my family, I still had my home and that type of thing. So a couple things that I learned from that is one, during that time, I would be in the temple, in that celestial room, and I would be praying. And I would be looking for, what's my next step? Where is that job? And the heavens were silent. There were no answers to that prayer. But this is what I learned, 
is sometimes when our prayers are not being answered, we need to look at other areas of our life. He was in the details of me, in the being, helping me as a bishop in the ward. He was in the details of my family. I did have peace in my life. He just wasn't telling me anything about employment. But that's what I needed. So sometimes we're not, we're on the Lord's timeline and we have to look outside to see where else he is blessing us. Then the last thing um, that I learned, oh yeah, it's mourn with those that mourn. So at this point, <laughs> here I am bishop and I don't want to go to church because I don't want to meet all these people coming to me, asking me, hey, Roger, how's the job search? Hey, Roger, how's this? And so Sundays would come. I would get ready. I would paint on that lipstick smile because I had to go to church. I had to meet these people. And all of a sudden, this one Sunday, the hallway was kind of clear, and a gentleman came up, someone in the ward that I knew well, came up and shook my hand and held it just a little bit longer than normal, looked me in the eyes, and asked me how I was doing. And I melted. Tears flowed. I was a mess. But it's exactly what I needed. What I have learned is as introverts, we want to go back into the house and just hide and try and get that energy. But what I learned is you have to go out and allow people to minister to you, to mourn with you. And sometimes it comes in the weirdest spot or when you're reaching out to someone, it can be as simple as a very tender handshake and how are you doing, and a three-minute conversation. So now that the Lord had totally taken me down, stripped me down of everything, now it was time to build me up. He gave me a Christmas gift. On Christmas Eve, I got a phone call from one of someone I knew at my previous employer offering me a job. It was the best Christmas gift ever. I went to work so grateful for a job. It changed my outlook on who I was as a leader. Out of all the experiences in my life, that changed me the most. I guess the reason why I share that is because each one of you hopefully will have a famine in your life. Maybe it will be more than one. Maybe it will be two or three. But just remember, you will be okay at the end. You will be stronger at the end. But there's gospel principles that if you follow, it will make that famine so much more easier. You'll be able to find that path.
I'm going to end with my testimony and then I'll give you a little bit of time. I shared this with the young adults, the YSA ward the other day, is the only difference between your testimony and the testimony of a general authority is the number of years of life experience. I know each of you, if you were called and asked to give a general conference talk, you could spend some time, find a life experience, and be able to share that over the pulpit for the whole world to see, and you could bear strong testimony of that. The difference is a general authority has a more vast volume of life experiences. Stay on your faith journey. Build up those life experiences and work through the famines. Prepare when the sun is shining and you'll do just fine. I know God lives. Jesus is the Christ because I have heard their voice. I know the Holy Ghost um, is real because I have felt his guidance, his embrace. I know God loves me and that I am his son because of the warm embraces that he has given me throughout my life. I know the atonement is real because I have used it in my life. Again, God is in the details. All we have to do is look and live by faith. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I'll just <clears throat> wrap it up from where did your faith journey begin to where is it now. So you kind of heard Rogers. This is where he kind of started and ended, I think. For me, this is where I started with the zipped up. And this is where I've ended with these scriptures that are unzipped, flowing in and out of me. Um, they are completely marked. I've got tabs. I've got post-it notes. I've got the gospel within me now. And it's because of the choices that I made through my life that I originally was planted that seed at BYU-Hawaii, and I never wanted it to leave. And it has never left me. And I testify that we are children of a Heavenly Father who is mindful of us. I know He is in the big decisions of our life and in the tiny, tiny details of our life. And it is my prayer and my encouragement that each of you will live such a life that the Spirit can abide with you as you journey through this tricky thing called life that we have to make decisions in every single day. And I know He is there and He will be with you. And I know this because He has been